Hello there and welcome to episode 74 of the Hawthorne's Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I am joined once a week by a few gentlemen, a couple of gentlemen more precisely, to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to my little brother Joseph Clay. Hello. So, it looks like the Jekyll and Hyde nature has returned somewhat, because one week after a miserable season opener against Blackburn, Albion looked to be making a lightweight of an old banana skin, the old enemy from South Wales in Swansea, who've given so many problems and sticking points over the last few seasons. But for 70 minutes or so, everything was comfortable and the weight of despair that had been inflicted upon us from Ewood Park had momentarily been replaced by an unfamiliar feeling to us at the moment. A little bit of joy, a little bit of a spark of life was felt by the Albion crowd. And like I said, for 70 minutes, that was definitely the case before a surreal final 20 minutes of a game, which has left us all scratching our heads again. Are we good? Are we still a bit crap? What is actually going on at the Albion? Is there any right to be confident about things going forward? Or should we still be panicking like we were? Because there were some positives to take, but at the same time, a few little scary notes that perhaps have got us all a little bit on edge but we're going to talk about all of that get through all of the talking points with a view towards where we're headed leads next but before we get to all of that let me say a huge thank you for downloading and listening to the Hawthorns Debate Club whether you're listening to this as a podcast on the podcast app of your choice or you're watching us on YouTube like I said we're now available on YouTube everything went swimmingly with the upload compared to the week before when we promised you YouTube but failed to deliver YouTube and now we are definitely on there so if you're listening to this you can go and find us over on YouTube just look up the Hawthorns Debate Club and, and we will be on there if you're struggling go onto the social medias the Twitters the Instagrams the X's and such and you will be able to find a link on there somewhere but we appreciate however you're viewing listening consuming this media right now we are very grateful to you and we love you if you want to leave us likes subscriptions fun any kind of meaningful encouragement we are very very receptive and welcoming of so thank you for all of your support and love and we will get now to the rest of the podcast so like i said guys it was our first home game of the season at the hawthorns it finished 3-2 um which is a bit of a surprise considering really how in control we were for large periods of the game at one point as we all know listening to this we were up 3-0 and seemingly coasting towards victory and that's how the whole game played out well the first seven minutes of the game played out before everything suddenly came unraveling in this spectacular near complete collapse we seem to be the architects of our own downfall at one point but Swansea with two goals back and kind of squeaky bum times, I think is the phrase, with the the nine minutes. How many minutes stoppage time was it? Nine that we had in the second half to deal with, yeah. And we managed to get through those and escape with the three points. The goals were scored by, surprise package of the year, Shemi Ajayi. 
Um, we also had an own goal and a uh, John Swift penalty. So we're going to talk about some of the, the talking points that have emerged from this game. And I want to start off by talking about something that's become abundantly clear because every single goal involved one, but it's been described as a bit of a, a game of set pieces, this game. We scored um, three, one from a throw-in, one from a corner, and one a penalty kick, a PK, if you abbreviate it. And then we also had um, conceded from uh, a corner, um, two corners, was it, they scored from? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, the confidence with which we say yes to that. But effectively, they scored from two set pieces as well. Let's first start with the positive. Um, and talk about uh, kind of our the threat that we've seen to pose from set pieces. Obviously, we haven't got a we didn't have a focal point. We'll talk about the team selection in a few moments time. Matt Phillips starting up front by himself, um, and we've struggled to generate goals. But were you guys encouraged by what you've seen? Obviously, they've been working on set pieces and Darnell Furlong's long throw again coming in form. Let's start with you, Joe. What have you made about our attacking threat from set pieces so far? I think the player who stands out is uh, what you said, the surprise package of the year was uh, Semi. He literally dominated the, uh, uh, the area and he, he attacked the ball. It wasn't one of those ones where, you know, they jump up and he just gets it in. It was an attacking ball. It was played across the box. I just I just liked that it was like a kind of a team goal for the first goal. Like it was all up in the air, but there was some composure. They knew what to do, put it back across the box into the danger area. And Semi Ajayi, brilliant. He lost his man. I don't even know if he had a man, but he lost his man. I don't know how he can't mark Semi Ajayi in that box. He's huge, isn't he? Um, but yeah, I just think attacking-wise, he's the main attack for us. Uh, I think OK Yukushu and um, Semi Ajayi are the best there. But I just loved actually going to the second goal where it was uh, from a... Is that from a corner? Yeah, or... in front of us in the Woodman, yeah. But I love going back uh, to last season. You know when uh, Furlong would do his long throwings at the start of the season, undervalued, always go into that. And I think we kind of stopped that last season. We used to He used to run up, pretend that he's going to throw it, and he would throw it short, wouldn't he? And I hated that. When I think when Furlong could throw it so well into the box... We saw it again this uh, this match, and I think it worked, especially with, like I said, Semi attacking it and convoluting that box really well. And their goalkeeper didn't seem too too confident to come out and catch it. He was flapping at it all the time. And I just think we need to use that. It's such a powerful weapon in set pieces because any time you get a throw in the last third of the their half, it's like a it's like a corner, isn't it? It's just it's brilliant. And I was uh, barely listening to on to Swansea. There were some Swansea commentators uh, when I was watching it uh, up in Rotherham. And they were saying, uh, mentioning back to Rory Lapp, I don't know who the, uh, the former Swansea player on there, and he was saying we would kick it out for a corner instead of a throw because Rory Lapp's throw-ins were so flat. And I think Darnell Furlongs are getting like that now. They're getting like the flatter and very precise in among the goalkeeper. And it just, you don't know where it's going to go. 
Al, do you worry that although we've done really well from set pieces in this game, that going forward there's almost an over-reliance on set pieces? I know there's value to being able to score from set pieces, but like I said, chances from open play were a little bit hard to come by. Do you what do you think about are we too reliant on set pieces? Should Corbin be kind of looking to generate more from open play? What do you think? Yeah, I think we were quite lucky to score three goals in one game, all from set pieces. I mean, unless you're going to play like Pulis and Stoke did when they were in the heyday, um, where you're literally going to shut up shop and rely on set pieces for goal because you've got, you know, 10 big uns on the pitch. Um like space jump style, um, you know, um, unless you're going to play ultra um, gungo like that, then I don't. I think you need um, something to complement uh, your set pieces, and I think um, you know it's obviously a bonus if you're going to score from set pieces. But for me, it's not the way to um, rely. Um, you know, it should just be treated as a bonus um, rather than your. Um, your bread and butter. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I mean, as encouraging as it was that we scored from our three set pieces, and and we do look dangerous from set pieces. It's well worth saying out there. Like you say, there's the ability to mix it up. We've got John Swift's delivery, but we've also got um, Darnell Furlong's throwing, and and with players like Shemi Ajayi. And got to be said, and I know a lot of people have made this point, it's a quality finish. It's it's not an easy finish. It's like coming across his whole body. He's caught it on the volley and he's done well to kind of finish there. But I think without a recognised striker presently or a recognised kind of spearhead for our attack, I, I think we're going to be very reliant on set pieces. Set pieces were definitely a big plus in this game, but they were also a huge negative in this game as well. And uh, well, for the first seven minutes, like I said, we were in cruise control. A couple of substitutions, and perhaps there's a conversation you guys want to, you can bring that in as well in this part. But all of a sudden, in the last 20 minutes, it wasn't just that Swansea did score from two set pieces. Every time the ball came into the box, it looked like it was complete panic stations. And I was fairly happy with the defence in this game. I know when you go on social media afterwards, everyone's still dunking on Cedric Kipre and Shemi Ajayi and error prone and such. But actually, for the first 70 minutes of this game, the defence... Um, in the back three, looked pretty good. Um, looked, well, pretty solid and stable. There's a couple of nervy moments, but moving on, moving out of Blackburn, there certainly seemed to have been something of an improvement. And all of a sudden, these substitutions happen and the ball's coming in and Palmer looks shaky. Credit to Palmer. He did pull off a couple of good saves, but there seems to be this uncertainty that suddenly was present and and like I say, a lot of panicky, last-ditch football. Uh, obviously, they scored two goals, but it felt like at any point, really, there could have been an easy third. Joe, we had a phone conversation afterwards, and a lot of people have been talking about this zonal marking scheme that Corbyn employs across the box. Um, do you think he, he'll ditch that now ahead of the Leeds game, or what do you think? I don't think he will ditch it ahead of the Leeds game because I don't think Leeds will be playing to set pieces to their 
as their advantage against us. They might try it now after seeing, obviously, uh, our last 20 minutes or 29 minutes against Swansea. Um, but I don't think, personally, obviously up to 70 minutes, up to the first goal, um, and there's a question that if that player should be still on the pitch, I know some rules say that because they've got the penalty, that's enough of a, a punishment for the player. They shouldn't be sent off. For me, he takes it down. Any other place in uh, the outside the box, he gets a yellow card. 100%. You know, uh, yeah, so he Stupid should have been sent off. Should have gone. And then that player got into the uh, team this uh, week under uh, who scored. Don't know how. But his goal was good. And I think that was a good finish. But I think, personally, set piece defending set pieces is a team goal, isn't it? It's not just down to the defenders. They're the tallest. They should be dominating. That's their bread and butter. But the zonal marking, going back to the zonal marking, I don't think it works. That cross between zonal marking and man marking, I don't think it works for us because I don't think our team is too tall. If you go past the OK Yukushlu and the defence, I don't think Connor Towns in or Furland are that tall. I think Furland can jump high, but he's not that tall. So I just don't think it works personally. But he will not change that. He likes the... Um, he's Spanish and he's got that Hispanic, you know, type of play. And I think that's a very... I think man marking is a very English thing. I think it's gone out of the game now. You probably find that lower down the leagues and, you know, your League Twos, maybe non-league. I don't think you find it much in League One. But for me, the talking point about this and you said about the substitutions was, okay, you're Kushner going off. I think he kind of... Even though he's not the captain, he's the captain of that defence. He organises people. And when he went off for Mauer and Chalabar, they haven't got that in them. You know, they haven't got that authority of defensive mode. Chalabar definitely hasn't. And Mauer is quite small, uh, not without his hat on. If he should wear his hat, to be fair, it'd be the biggest No problem on some corners, yeah. He just kind of <laughs> uses, uses his mega mind to deflect. But there you go. But yeah, I just think, for me, set pieces in the first half and up to that 70 minutes, we were fine. There was no nervousness. I think we cleared it. But once they scored that first goal, they saw our vulnerability. Now, OK, Yukushlu's gone off and they pounced on it and fair play to them. They scored the second goal and I was nervous. I bet everyone in the Hawthorns was nervous and no one wanted to leave, did they, to the uh, 99th minute or whatever. So for me... I would go man marking, but I don't think that's in football anymore, to be honest, because I think it's a bit uh, Neanderthal, isn't it, uh, for a, a manager to go back to that. Ah, what do you think about the defensive frailties that were on show? Good games, me and you were talking in the stadium. Defenders seem to be having a good games, but we seem to look really weak. Is it a mentality thing? Is it a confidence issue? Is it a confidence in Palmer or is it is it does it purely come down to what kind of marking scheme we use where do you lie with that yeah so I like I totally agree um and as as I said during the the game I thought Ajay Kipre and Eric Poitras had a fantastic um first 60 odd minutes you know I thought they looked really tight but then there was a little bit of a, a lack of a well I say a little bit of a lack of concentration um there was a lack of concentration. Um, and I, I felt that, you know, 
they started to misplace a few passes and um, they weren't controlling the ball as, as, as well as they were um, earlier in the game. But we'd scored our third goal in the 64th minute and then we made substitutions between the 68th and the 69th. So Yukushu went off uh, for Chalaber and Phillips went off for Moat. Um, and then they scored their goal on the 74th in the 74th minute. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I think, um, you know, we went 3 0 up. Um, and obviously, after that, the dynamic of the game is going to change because you think, you know, if Swansea are going to make a move, they're going to up the tempo then, you know, and try and push for, a, you know, an equaliser. Um, and then for, for Corbyn to kind of um, change the solidity that we experiencing up to that point uh, you know we had we were well in control of the game you know it was a bit of a, a bit of a question mark um, you know you, you don't know if whether injuries are at play or he's trying to rest players but it, there were question marks over that decision but um, yeah I thought Ajay and Kipre for me you know they had a better than average game I thought Ajay played excellently like a really really impressed by his performance uh, the first 60 minutes, but I think I would really like them to, con- to to improve their perhaps fitness, which will improve their concentration perhaps, or, you know, really work on the focus towards the, the latter stages of the games. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, this whole set-piece debate, I think the, the issue we've got as a defence is that I feel like technically that they can be error-prone defenders, and because unless we score from every set piece we take because we're not creating play, generally speaking, creating many chances from open play, it requires our defenders to almost play error-free football. There's very little margin for mistakes because if they do make mistakes, we're not scoring enough goals to pick up points. And I agree with you guys. I think the problem with that is that as soon as a goal goes in, it creeps into their, their brain, the little whisper, the kind of evil little voice inside thinks it's gone this as we've lost this. And I saw it in Palmer as well. I know, like I said, Palmer pulled off a couple of great saves, but there's a couple of moments when the ball came in and he, he was half hesitant about coming for it. And there was that one little chance where he kind of clawed his way back across goal after it wasn't dealt with and pushed it out for a corner. And the thing that screamed to me is that Fair enough, it's it's good goalkeeping to not just get to the ball but push it away from danger. But the lack of authority and leadership in that situation, nobody who took control of the situation and dealt with it. And I thought whichever marking scheme we employ, and it's it's definitely a mixture of both. So people who were on Twitter afterwards and, and on the radio saying it was just zonal purely, it, it, you can watch it's not. It's a bit of a mixture of both, which is what practically everyone does. But for me, it was a mentality issue more than an execution issue. I appreciate they didn't do their jobs right, but it was the the panic that it caused, which was more concerning for me going forward. Because I do think... As Corbyn's a man of principle, you're right, Joe, he's not going to suddenly change his mind and start doing man-marking because that has problems of its own. But it's this mentality, this nervousness, this lack of confidence that worries me when a goal goes in. We're better at home, but at away, and what we saw towards that end of the game is a little bit of a concern going forward for me because I don't... I like 
a giant Kipre. I totally agree with both of you. Had really good games. I don't even I really think think Kipre had a decent game as well. Um and Peters had come in and done well. In fact, that back three and the back four or five with Connor Townsend Furlong, they all played particularly well, in my opinion. But the problem is amongst them, I don't hear a voice. I don't know who the loud voice is. I didn't hear Palmer as much. I've got to be honest. And I think like you said, when you then take a Yakushlu out of the situation, who perhaps would be a leader in, like you said, Joe, organizationally speaking, it was a bit of a an in-game management issue mm. for Corbyn. Like there's a few people have commented on that, that his in-game management recently has been a bit querysome. Um and again, it comes down to game scripts. We were, we were the victim of that at Blackburn having to go for it, and we were kind of almost the victim of it in this sense, in the way that Swansea had nothing left to lose. Any other thoughts on that before we move I'd on? Li- I'd just like to mention that Kipre made a great challenge. You know, when we were free to, uh, we were winning free two. It was right at the end, and he made this last ditch challenge when they were going down the right. Mm. But that wasn't the the main thing. I like how Kipre wears white boots. It reminds me when I was younger when all the you know, all the cool kids wore white boots and you had to be good to wear white boots. But it goes with the socks. It just looks like he's wearing his socks out yeah, there. Running around barefoot. He's like Joe Benito, like on the beaches of Rio, like barefoot. Joe actually didn't have white boots. Joe had black boots with neon you know, like the save by the bell graphics with like like Paul from Gascoigne's. the 90s, the Paul Gascoigne signature boots. And he actually <laughs> spent more time looking at his boots than playing football, which was always the narrative of our football careers as the Clay Brothers. Not feared for our, <laughs> but very, very, very popular for our boot choice, um, particularly yeah. because I wore Patrick football boots. But talking of the game and the in-game management there was a a little bit of a conversation about the pre-game management this is the third game in a row now that Corbin's been tinkering um we saw four at the back against Blackburn which obviously didn't work particularly well we then saw three at the back against Stoke but a huge team overhaul and now this game, we've seen three at the back and kind of the regular starters come back in. And I guess the interesting thing was the inclusion of Peters in the back three. And then also the what we've already mentioned is the spearhead being Matt Phillips. Obviously, BTA has picked up a knock that came out before the game. What do you think of this tinkering? This Does it, does it worry you that Corbin either doesn't know his best formation or his best team lineup? It will worry me next game if he doesn't keep this formation because I think this formation works. Mm-hmm. I think it secures us a little bit at the back. I know we conceded from set pieces, but from from normal play, which we happened in against Blackburn, we got ripped apart, ripped to shreds. Our defence did. It shores us up the back. We've got a bit of uh, with Peters in there, if, or if you had Kyle Bartley in there, you'll have a bit of authority at the back, a bit of. Bit of authority, we'll go with that. I just can't think of the other word. That will work. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think Connor Townsend played brilliant at left mid. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I think it's the best I've seen him play for a long time. And I don't think Furlong played bad. I think they all played bad. Furlong went back into the, the four, didn't he? He tra- traced back into the four if we need to go back to a four. 
Peters came across and was left uh, defensive. I think this is the one. The only problem I think is who he loves Matty Phillips in there. So when BTA is back, where does he does he leave Matty Phillips up front? Does he put BTA back? Where does he put Matt Phillips? Does he take John Swift? Does he Wallace? He ain't taking Furlong or Connor Townsend up. I can't see him doing any of that unless he does Matty Phillips for Furlong. But yeah, I, I, I if if he changes it back to the four four two, which we were playing against Blackburn, it was more of a four four two. It's not it isn't a four four two, but you know, it started off and it, it, it amalgamates. There's no real standard formation now. They they learn to play about three or four each match, don't they? So I would hope that he starts with this against Leeds because Leeds are a threat going forward and we'll discuss that in our preview. But I think this shores us up from open play and I think Leeds will be attacking us through open play more than set pieces. So I think this is the one, I think, for me. I think I saw potential in this and if we get used to this, I think we can push on from there. Joe has selected this as his football manager tactic now. Al, what do you make of it? Anything about the defence or perhaps how do you think Matty Phillips spearheaded the attack? Yeah, I mean, defence-wise, I think with the players at our disposal, you've got to play a back three, really. And and I think Saturday showed that. I don't think... I think with the, the errors that they've got in them, you've got that extra player to cover if you need them. So I would definitely stick with three at the back. But for me, uh, it's the personnel in attacking which is and midfield, which is interesting. I think we've got a, an embarrassment of riches at the moment, which is something I don't I didn't think I'd be saying. And I hope Loy isn't listening and thinks he can, you know, just carry on sitting in his jacuzzi and not pull his finger out or open his purse. Um, because... Yeah, I think uh, Phillips had a good game up front. Um, mm-hmm. I don't mind. I didn't mind him. Like when I first saw the uh, team sheet, I did think, "How are we going to like win this with no striker?" Um, but then I, you know, I thought about it, and you know, during the game, I was watching Phillips, and he's he's a good player. You know, he can play there. Uh, he's done it before, I think, in previous uh, like playing for previous teams. But I think when Dean Garner comes back, you've got Sarmiento to come into the mix. You've got Madger. And then you've got the midfield, like your Kuslu, Lumbi. Just stick with playing two kind of holding midfielders and then a player in the hole like Swift or Sarmiento or Moat. And then, you know, strikers, you've got Madger, Asante, you've got Wallace, Dean Garner, TGH. You know, we've got some really good players there now. Um so I was really encouraged. Um, so, you know, go, going into to Leeds, I think it'll be uh, interesting to see who he picks. It's interesting because obviously his hand was forced somewhat by the injury to BTA. And I, I personally, uh, not that Matt Phillips had a bad game. I just think he didn't, he wasn't as effective as we've seen him under Corbyn. And because he's not playing in his natural position, I guess. It's funny because you look at Matt Phillips and you, for all of his kind of qualities, I can't work out why he's not a better kind of number nine, but he definitely functions better on the left-hand side. He didn't really pose a particular goal threat on Saturday, whereas I think if he'd been on the left at some point, you know Matty Phillips is going to generate either a chance for someone else or a chance for um, himself, but that that didn't happen. I like the back three. I think the what we showed with the back three is that we're actually 
very competent at adjusting in game in the sense that when Connor Townsend went forward, Eric Peters slid across and you've got, um, then you've still got the two centre-back pairing in Kipre and Ajay and Darnell Furlong would come back and it would almost create a back four. Um, so you always had this kind of adjustments being made by the defence. So they seem to understand how to play it. Um, and like I said, I think you, it's unlikely that we'll see Bartley though, I think also, because I think obviously left-sided centre-back and Peters for your, your passing angles and all your data and such um, really, really kind of warrants him starting ahead of Bartley. But I think the interesting thing I found in this game is because I've been looking at some of the data is just how impressive Darnell Furlong's stats were in this game. He was one of our highest progressive passers. Well, he was our highest progressive passer in this game. And he was also one of the highest ball carriers in this game. And so it obviously suits our wing backs at this point as well when they can push up and their attacking attributes are more displayed in the defensive and because I do think they're frail defensively those two and it often leaves us exposed but I think if we can compensate for that and then utilize their strengths going forward this is definitely something that I think we have to stick with and as we shore up the other positions I really really think that like this is we, we he stumbled across it a little bit here. Let's move on to another topic then that kind of comes out of this, and perhaps we've already mentioned some names, but we've seen three games this season so far, and we, we've spoken about surprise packages in our preseason. But is there anyone over the course of these three games, or perhaps just the two games in the league, that you now view differently perhaps at the end of the Blackburn game you weren't sure but the Swansea game you've seen something different who's your friend that was your enemy or not as friendly friend who was my enemy I would say Mo hasn't still won me around by the way um, <laughs> Connor Townsend I think I mentioned it before I think Connor Townsend this match Really dominated his position, put some quality balls in. His corners were great, which I don't always say. Hopefully, that's his last free kick. To be honest, I think there's another. There's enough quality on that pitch for not having Connor Townsend taking our uh, free kicks while well, attacking free kicks. Um, but I just think he did what we've all been wanting him to do on his attacking side. And like you just mentioned there, he doesn't have to do all his defensive side so we can appreciate what he does when he goes forward. Because I think when he's in that left wing back, he gets maybe caught in the middle. Do I be defensive or do I be attacking? You know, and that's why you see him passing back every so often and starting the play again. I know that's the way Corbran likes to do it. Um, but we actually saw his attacking and I think he is a threat. I think he's got a good footballing head and his decision-making is quite good when he goes forward and he's crossing his quality. So I really hope that Corbrand, like you said, keeps this thingy and he changes. You know, I don't hate him, but I just think this position as this midfielder, left midfielder, I don't know what it is. It's like this weird one. Hybrid, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he can go back, but he's more attacking. I hope this we see the best of him because I still think the last couple of seasons we haven't seen the best of 
Connor Townsend. Uh, I know people say with the stats he's really good, but I just think he's better at attacking and defending. Mm-hmm. Alex, who's your friend of me now? I think this one will please you, Jamie. I think uh, Ajayi. Um, I think Ajayi and Kipre, um, for at least the first 60-odd minutes of uh, the game against Swansea, really, really impressed me. Made me think that they could actually work in the back three and, like, to the standard of being almost, you know, like the best, best like defence in the uh, the championship. I think they have got the ability to do that, and I was, I'm pleased for Ajoye because I think I think I said last week that Ajoye, you know, he's got so much potential, and it's about time that he kind of realised it. And, you know, I think there were signs of that on Saturday, and hopefully with a bit of consistent game time and alongside uh, a bit of a safety net of uh, two other defenders. You know, I think we've got a real player on our hands there. Mm-hmm. Now, let me just read some stats about Shemi Ajayi. As I said, surprise package of the year, delivering so far, delivering that package. One goal, two shots on target. Nearly scored an almost carbon copy of the first goal. He had one dribble, two interceptions, two clearances, four tackles won, four aerial duels won, five ground duels won, 55 touches, 42 passes and 81% passing accuracy really did show and there was one particular incident that made me so happy because it shows what Ajay is all about to me we had a friend Josh who'd come to watch the game with us um, Liverpool fan so not exposed to the qualities of championship football the, the rare refined air of the Hawthorns very often but he was um, watching and there was a ball pinged over the top that in many situations you're anticipating the attacker runs on to Shemi Ajayi started alongside the attacker and by time he reached the ball was about eight meters ahead of the attacker and had not just time to get to the ball but time to turn and deal with it the speed of that man I, I honestly I say this I've said it before on the podcast I would argue there is no attacker faster than him in the championship over a distance he can make up the ground, so I was chuffed to show me a joy. But that's not my player. See how dramatic that pause was. My player was John Swift. John Swift had a very, very mild performance against Blackburn. It was very cool. Almost, you could say, it almost looked like either a preseason game or the end of the season when results don't matter. He almost seemed to be going through the motions a little bit. Now, I appreciate he was bought in in a particularly frantic part of the game. But although John Swift will show up in the st- stats this week for having um, scored the penalty, he was actually involved in all three goals. It's his cross that leads to Darnell Furlong's shot that causes the own goal. And if you watch the Shemi Ajayi goal, it's actually John Swift that wins that second ball the first time through. And it is it is not like John Swift. I think, in fact, I think Andy Johnson makes a mistake of thinking it's Shukushlu, and it's not. It's John Swift. He jumps higher, almost attacks the bloke he's jumping alongside, wins the header, he goes across the box, he comes back across the box. I think Connor Townsend wins a header at the back post and it comes back and it's, um, what's the name? Um, Shemi Ajayi who scores. Sorry, it's blank then completely. It's also, interestingly, Cedric Kipre does an interesting kind of progressive pass, which John Swift picks up, moves forward and plays in Connor Townsend who wins the penalty. The thing with John Swift is 
he's never going to be the kind of try hard footballer in terms of he running around like a headless chicken trying to get like his kilometers up in a game but the work he does in causing problems to opposition in terms of creating chances from set pieces from open play the penalty is a great penalty you can't understand that it's proper like an a keeper independent penalty he just puts it in the corner and so for me john swift going forward it's difficult, but he almost becomes a must-start because when we're he's on the pitch, we score more goals, whether that's through set-pieces, like I said, or through chances he generates for other people. We're going to have to press pause there because our Zoom call, because we are pros, is Cheap. coming to an end. And cheap, obviously, yes, we don't pay for Zoom, as has already been pointed out. Zoom want to sponsor the podcast. We are open to that. Just drop us a message and such. But we'll be back in a few moments' time. So let's carry on our conversation after our mini break there. I want to talk about next. It's something that obviously will kind of move us towards a conversation about what happens in games going forward. But we saw cameo appearances from Josh Madger and Sarmiento. They only came on. They came on during that collapse, really. I'm not saying they really played any part in it at all. In fact, the glimmers we saw seemed to be quite encouraging. Do you think that as things stand, it's difficult for them to kind of break into the starting lineup? Apparently, BTA is only a knock and should be back for Leeds. Do you think they've done anything to justify their inclusion or would you just be willing to roll the dice regardless, Joe? I'd... Don't think they've had a chance to push into the first eleven at the moment because I think at the moment we need to be cautious than attacking. If we are winning, well, let's say five nil. No, let's not say three nil because we have to be well ahead to uh, convincingly win. I think they'll come on, but they'll have their time. You know, there'll be games where we will go attacking, but at the moment because we lost the first league game and then the league cup game I think Corbran's feeling not so much the pressure but the team are feeling the pressure of we need to get some wins under our belt you know start pushing on Mm -hmm. but I just would like to say something about Sarmiento we haven't had a player who has the short socks oh it's like yeah it's it's like the white boots what I was saying earlier you know like back in the day the good players like David Beckham had he's like those predators those like pearly white predators mm-hmm. like Jack Greenish was the first player I really ever saw who had the short socks and there seems to be loads of players doing it now but he has got them and you have to be good you can't you do be absolutely you can't... <laughs> because you're basically saying look at me I'm doing it differently and if you're drawing the eye you've got to have something different about you I didn't really pick up on that but I think that's that's a worthy inclusion in our analysis there that he does have small shin pads and low socks. Yeah. Interesting. Very he, nice. He does that cut in, doesn't he? Uh, it's very, I wouldn't say it's Jack Greenish like, but it's very that flair direct type of player uh, like Jack Greenish and those where they're direct and they just cut, they drop their, drop their shoulder and they're past the player and they keep doing it and they cause a foul and that's what they do. And it, it really, it, Helps us. It really helped us in that uh, latter stage of that game because him was getting brought down every second 
time he had the ball. You know, it was just brilliant. And I think going on to Madger, I don't know if uh, Alex wants to say anything about Madger, but I would say he did the same. He got so many fouls. He, he played his part in that game for the last mm-hmm. 10 minutes uh, or whatever, how many minutes they were on. They both played their part. They caused fouls. And if you need that, that's what they're good at. You know, that's, mm-hmm. those attacking players are good at it and use that to our advantage. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think uh, Corbyn will have um, you know difficulty selecting um, a first eleven. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I thought they both looked fantastic, um, and I think the Leeds game is the first game where you could probably argue that Sarmiento's now match fit. You know, he's been coming on a few games now for the last you know half an hour or so. Whereas you know, I think this time, I think it'd be difficult to use that card and say he's you know mm-hmm. still. Uh, try, trying to get match fitness. Um, I think with Madger, you've probably got another couple of games where you can say that. Um, although I think for me, Madger, you know, I think he'd be quite good as a, a number nine, that lone striker. I thought, he, you know, ch- he ran a lot, chased the ball, held up the ball really well, uh, you know, gave away, uh, or sorry, didn't give away any fouls, but he got fouled a few times, um, which slowed the play down for us. Um, Sarmiento, that one, I remember a, uh, it's probably around the 75th minute, 80th minute, something like that. But he sort of he tricked his way uh, into the box, um, you know, and it, you know, it looked like Pereira, uh, Harvey Barnes-esque. You know, you could even go as far back as like Kumas or, you know, these silky players that, you know, they they come along once a blue moon. Um, you know, really like set the Hawthorns alight. Alex getting a bit dreamy-eyed then when you were reeling off those list of names, bro. It is absolutely right. I think, like you said, there's a magical quality about what players like that can do. They're the, they're the reason you, you watch football, in my opinion. When you, As much as we all love a good, rugged kind of no-nonsense centre-back to clear up the mess and stuff like that, when you put on a YouTube compilation, you want flair and, and things that bring excitement to the game. And there was... That run that you've just mentioned there, Alex, where he kind of weaved and turned the defender back on himself a couple of times and really generated more space than he had any right to. And there was the the other one where he received it, I don't know, like halfway in our own half. And it's the one that Albion have put the clip on Instagram today and on the social medias where he, he kind of runs with the ball and he does a full 360, like no scope and this before the player brings him down. But he genuinely turns 360 degrees in such a rapid time. Like, his turning circle is unbelievable agility. And the ability to move and turn the ball around like that, I think the problem that we have going forward is, is did Phillips... Are we going to rely on Phillips to keep up his hot form under Corbyn? Or... Will it be a case of Sarmiento jumps the queue? I think Madger, for me as well, he jumps the queue ahead of Phillips, at least in spearheading the attack. I think if Asante isn't good to go against Leeds, Madger starts for me. In fact, out of the two of them, I'd probably say Madger is more likely to start at this point. But it's definitely food for thought for Corbyn. And obviously that, kind of nicely leads us out of the Swansea game into kind of the next 
game, which is Leeds away. We're not too sure about, obviously, the injury to BTA, etc. Right, something went wrong with the recording there. So this seamlessly is us transitioning into talking about the Leeds. Can't remember necessarily what I was saying, but we're going to talk about the Leeds game next. Obviously, they've come down from the Premiership. They've sold quite a lot of players. And when you look at their squad, there's a lot and lot of faces that perhaps we haven't seen, but there's still some of the the old faithful few that we saw from that that battle under Slavon Bilic, but a lot of them are out. Dallas and Bamford are injured and kind of Luke Ailing's the one that always springs out to me as being kind of iconic leads of that era. But there's a lot of young players in the team, a lot of young players who've played at premiership level, um, a lot of pace in the side, haven't necessarily come down and pulled up trees. They're, they've kind of struggled a little bit. I think people were expecting the teams coming down from the premiership to just go off this season and really storm the league. It's interesting that that's not been the case at all. In fact, even Southampton and and Leicester, the other two teams have really struggled to, they've got results, but they haven't come as easy as they were to Burnley last season, for example. I am nervous about this game. There's one particular reason I'm nervous about this game that isn't particularly good analysis, is that it's away. I think we still have a huge problem away from home that has carried over like a hangover from last season where at the Hawthorns we looked like um, a, a top a top side in the division, whereas away from home, we look nervous, we look panicky, we're, we're cagey in terms of build-up. We generate very, very few chances. And as soon as the opposition score, we look like we're already beaten. I think we have a major kind of yips away from home. I really think we've got kind of a proper, I don't know what you call like a mental fog playing away. We look like a completely different team, but like not nothing like when we got the blue and white stripes on, I'm confident, but any other iteration of kit that we have, and I'm seriously worried, and I am worried about this Leeds game, and not purely just because we've uh, there obviously got some quality in the side, but because I worry about our mentality and our, our, our kind of mental fragility as well. What do you guys make of the, the game against Leeds? I'm going to this one, um, I think I mentioned it last week, but um, yeah, I'm nervous about this. Uh, they have, like you mentioned, they've got key uh, injuries. I've just done some extensive research while we've been on the podcast. They've got Dallas out, they've got Furpo out, they've got Bamford out, they've got Cooper out, they've got Somerville out, which I think is a great one for us because that Somerville looked really good against uh, Cardiff. Mm. He's really, you know, attacking, direct, skillful. Uh, they've still got players refusing to start. Gennato, is it? Uh, yeah, he looks then, like he might be on the way out, hopefully. Yeah, and then Adam Tyler is on his way out uh, after he's had his crazy going to Chelsea, going to now Bournemouth, I think. Uh, that's the way it goes. But for me, I'm not so nervous about us being away. I think if we keep like I mentioned, keep this formation. I think we can keep Leeds at bay. I think they'll try and play at us, play football at us, because uh, I think Daniel Parker likes to play a bit of football. It's um, a good job as a football manager, isn't it? Yeah. 
Uh, it's really good. But for me, the trickiest situation of this is if BTA is fit, does he put BTA in? Where does he Ooh. put Matt Phillips? Who does he? Who does he? Rep- where? What does he tinker with this time? What does he? Hopefully, nothing in the back and Connor Townsend and Furlong play, and obviously you can have OK, you Kushley and Malumbi. So it's just going to be the front three. So what does he do? And I think he'll stick with what he has uh, and bring BTA on. I think he will stick. But then we're not going to have really any attacking prowess. I think we're going to go for the set-piece goals. So what are you saying? You think he'll drop Matt Phillips then in that situation or John Swift? They're the two that are going no, to I think it. I think I think he'll stick with what he started with against Swansea. Matt Phillips at number nine. Yep. I think he'll do that because I think there's an easy way out of that. Is that BTA is coming back from an injury. You know, let's bring him back in. We've got a long season ahead of us and BTA can come on. I don't think you'll see Madger this uh, match uh, unless he brings BTA onto the wing. But for me, I think we defend. I think we can do the set-piece type of thing again. I think Ajay is going to be essential for this in this game. Kipre, Peters, I think those players are going to be essential for us to get these points, defending and attacking. Uh, so for me, on this one, I'm going to say we're going to win 2-1 uh, and it's going to be set-piece goals again and I think a Jay and maybe Furlong, you know, one of those players. But yeah, I think he sticks with what he had. It's a winning formula. Bring BTA on and then it might change the next game down because these are tough games and I think he's going to go. Leeds is his hometown. It's where his son was you know, born and everything. I think he'll go to conserve nil nil and we'll win it on the break uh, on the set pieces protect his reputation in town they are actually currently sat 19th they've drawn to cardiff and lost to blues i think people think blues might be quite decent this season but it's certainly not the start they anticipated al are you worried about that kind of the the bounce back like that they want to they want to prove a point against us that will be kind of the victims of their anger or do you think we can go there and 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 enforce our game plan, or will we look to try and sit back and contain them? What do you think? I'm not that worried, to be honest. I, I always thought that Leeds would struggle this season because I don't, I don't, I don't think they know what's going to hit them uh, with all these teams. Um, you know, I don't think they've got enough goals in them, um, to be frank. So I think they're in for a really tough slog this year. Um, I mean, now I've said that, I've obviously just jinxed us, but I think that. Um, I think we'll win 2-0. Um, I think, you know, after the Swansea game, you know, we were encouraging for, you know, 60 and a half, 60 minutes plus five minutes, which is a really interesting way of saying 65 minutes. Um, <laughs> but I, I think um, Corbyn has got the nous to, um, to sort of learn from what went wrong. Um, and I think with the attacking players that we've got coming back, we've got goals in us. Uh, we've got a solid defence, so I think we'll we'll win two 0 Yeah, I, I think that there's a few things that are. I think they're struggling to score goals. That's kind of well documented. Like you say, their main source of goals, perhaps Somerville, perhaps it will be Bamford if he can find any level of fitness. 
we are scoring plenty of goals ourselves. Like you say, the set piece is always going to be a threat. It's just going to be a case of can we limit the mistakes? Can we kind of solidify the set piece defending? Is it and and I really do think the away thing. I mean, I'm just looking at a few facts here. We haven't won an away game in nine matches. I think the last one was probably Blackpool away last season. Is that right? It, it could all be back then. Um, and we, we also haven't kept a, a clean sheet in 12 matches. Um, and perhaps even more worrying than that is that we Leeds haven't lost to us. We haven't beaten Leeds in our last five games against them. Now, obviously, that's all the past. And we are men that live in the future. The debate club is very much nestled in the present. We look into the auras and time and, and what lies ahead. And so we can't be suckers to history. But also at the same time, those kind of stats, insights, whatever you want to call it, they they do leave me very, very worried about this game. I think where they currently sat in the table is a bit of a false position. I do think they'll creep back up. Once they've once the transfer window's closed and they kind of settled on who their team is over the rest of the season, very much like us as well, that they'll naturally begin to pick up points. So looking at them and seeing that they're in 19th at the moment probably doesn't mean too much. I would think a point away at Ellen Road come the end of the season will be considered a very, very good point. So I'm going to say that we draw one all, and I think Captain Jed Wallace will score against them. I really hope for Corbyn's sake. I don't know. How do you play this? If you're, How do we look at this? Corbyn, does he want to impress Leeds by beating them? Or do we want to, is there something to say that if... They, the executives there see him, the Leeds fans see him, and we're really crap and struggle that it'll put them off for good, or do we just have to try and support Albion and hope they win? Another dimension, Jamie, is that it could be uh, too busy saying hello to all his old friends mm-hmm. that he doesn't focus enough on the game. The fourth dimension of social interaction. And I, I see that one. Yeah, potentially. I think the thing that I would hope that changes between this game. And there's a few podcasts have made the point of talking about this as well, is that people actually get behind the team and this booing of players conversation. I don't know where you guys stand on that, but I was talking to Alex. Alex arrived at the game with what? Five minutes to go, Al? Yep, it was completely unprecedented. I'm usually there at least an hour before. Alex before is, kickoff or the end of the game. This is before <laughs> kickoff. Alex is you. If we've got like a Saturday kickoff, then Alex is there about Thursday tea time. So he's generally speaking. I've never walked in. I was genuinely concerned when I walked into the ground and Alex wasn't there. I thought something terrible had happened. Some tragedy had struck him, and so we got there anyway. So we only had a few seconds to chat before the game even kicked off. But it was at the point when you know the announcer goes for all the team names, and I was genuinely nervous that people were going to boo Cedric Kipre because it's just embarrassing. Like if you're an away fan, you come and you hear or an away player, even you hear that the fans before the games even kicked off are going to boo. Fortunately, they didn't with Kipre. But then Chalaba, I'm still giving that over unnecessary. Is it yeah. just Chalaba? Yeah, Chalaba. Chalaba, he 
comes on and there's the rumblings of booze and it's just sad man i don't i get like you've paid your money you can moan and grumble you want but booing our own players is just the thing for me is it's just so counterproductive i don't it's not going to make them better um do you guys think booing you pro booze or i think these 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 are the same people that say you know it's my birthday and i'll cry if i want to yeah i think you boo more that's it I remember Alex once had that as his kind of approach to booing was to begin to boo them as they booed. I don't know how that would kind of, how that would kind of land on the pitch, just a cacophony of boos. For me, like it's a, that's a negativity breeds negativity, doesn't it? Um, You know, I think if you're going to be negative, if you're that player, you know, you're going to be upset. And if uh, you're a fan who thinks it's wrong, you're going to be upset. So then that creates negativity and then that just fuels more negativity because the player doesn't focus and the fans get inside fighting. Um, so, yeah, it's just a, it's just bad practice. You know, if, yeah. if there was a, a manual of support, how to support your club, you know, rule 101 would be um, no booing. Don't boo your own players. You know what it reminds me of? You know when uh, Brian Jensen, the Beast, used to play for us and everyone goes, bees. It sounded like it sounded like everyone was booing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it did. Yeah. Maybe we're calling him the Beast. Chalabar. Yeah, maybe we just try and hijack the booze. That's a good little kind of shine a light campaign. We hijack the booze to start a new nickname for Shalabar, Beast. Beast, yeah. I don't think he's going to catch on, is it? So you probably won't know, but neither did shine a light on some, uh, Saturday, so I won't worry too much about that. Um, yeah, I don't like booing. I think it's stupid. I think it's a waste of time. But what do I know, really? Last thing to say, games on a Friday night. We're on TV, I think. So inevitably, we will be trash. Cool. Happy, boyos. You yeah, yeah. You look it, yeah. I think we should all keep an eye out for Joe on the sky um, on Friday. I just hope I can get my last train back because of the extra time. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, true. Yeah. That is true. You do have to take that into consideration. Joe, for the fans of the Hawthorns Debate Club watching on YouTube, how will they be able to see you in the crowd? Do you have any pyrotechnics? Will you be rushing the pitch at any point? How can you uh, gonna, make us known? I'm going to be wearing my Megabind hat. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, yeah, so it'll just be a massive hat. So look out for Joe. He will be a beacon of hope sat in Ellen Road on Friday evening, but we'll land it there. It's been a great conversation as always, as it is at the Debate Club. Thank you for listening to us this week. Thank you for downloading or watching the YouTube. Subscribe, like, do all the things that YouTube people say because we're now YouTubers, lads, which is exciting, the real world that we live in. Um, do all those things that the other YouTubers tell you to do to our YouTube, and we'll be very, very happy. Please tell people about the podcast. Word of mouth is the only real thing we do. We don't do anything spectacular about that, and so we're really grateful when you do do that. We don't um, mind word on Twitter, by the way, Jamie. We words. don't mind that. Or if you, like I say, with pitch invasion, with some sort of pro Hawthorne's debate club message um 
we're also in full support of that. Like block roads, yeah, block roads, signs, placards, do it all. We're, we're totally supportive of that. But all that remains for me to say today is a huge thank you to you, Alexander Newton Collins. Cheers. Thank you to you, Joseph Gerald Clay. Cheers. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Sweet.